0: Hey Changemaker, welcome to this new episode of the Hey Changemaker podcast with me, Julia Wicklander. My guest today is Ria William Yuyada, a 31-year-old women's human rights and peace activist from South Sudan. She is the founder and executive director of Crown the Woman South Sudan, a national grassroots feminist organization that works to foster a future with zero tolerance for inequality, inequity and injustice. Ria is also the co-founder of Play for Peace South Sudan, which provides technical support to the South Sudan high-level revitalization forum Peace Talks, a peace initiative in South Sudan. Ria advocates for women's empowerment and peacebuilding initiatives through a feminist lens and has done so at many different levels. She has been awarded the Amnesty International Ginata Sagan Award that recognizes and assists women who are working to protect the liberty and lives of women and children in areas where human rights violations are widespread. Ria is also the former Miss South Sudan Uganda and has experienced speaking on stages around the world about her work. It is such a pleasure speaking with Ria. She is a force of nature and shares several powerful personal stories, as well as stories of women and girls that she has worked with. She speaks about her return to South Sudan, a country she was forced to leave as a young girl. We talk about the situation in the country, about her work with Crown the Woman, and how she stays driven and hopeful despite working with people who have endured unspeakable traumas. Sexual violence is mentioned in this episode, and I just want to add a warning for listeners who need one. Uh, Rhea shares some powerful stories and amazing advice for those dealing with trauma and speaks about her own journey to healing. Hearing Ria's stories left me in tears and gave me so much hope and strength. I hope her words do the same for you. Thank you so much for being here. Ria, thank you so much for joining the Hate Change Maker podcast today. I'm so thrilled and filled with so much gratitude for you to tune in and share some of your time to, to speak with me today.
1: Thank you so much, uh, Julia, for inviting me to this platform and uh, for this opportunity for me to share my story. And uh, my story is um, made of a... Lived experiences and those lived experiences carry uh, along the stories of those that have been part of my life, uh, the work that I do. So you may, um, you may think I'm sharing my story. Yes, it is my story. But also, I, I will be sharing and carrying along the stories of uh, some girls and women that I work with um, as well.
0: Mm. Thank you so much, Ria. And you're from, I mean, I, in the beginning of this episode, I've shared m- about you and, and your sort of biography, but you're from South Sudan and you grew up um, in displacement from a country that it was affected by war. Um, can you share about the feeling that you had when South Sudan became independent in 2011?
1: Wow. Um... When we got our independence, um, it was such a beautiful, a powerful day that all South Sudanese, wherever they were, even those in South Sudan, uh, celebrated, danced, sang. I remember the streets were filled with people uh, driving around, motorcycles, vehicles, uh, people walking. Um, on the streets at night, singing, dancing, drumming. Um, It was a celebration, you know, it was a celebration. Um, Yeah, just reflecting on that day um, Mm. makes me look at things right now and I'm like, are we still celebrating? Um, What is that little thing uh, or little thread of hope that can still make us celebrate even um, this much we have come and still hold on to uh, the hopes of change for the future.
0: Yeah, because since then, the you know, war and conflict has erupted again and again. Um, yet you decided to go back because you were studying in Uganda and you decided to go back, right? Um, can you share... A little bit about what sparked within you? What was the moment when you felt like you just had to be a part of creating positive change for for peace and equality um, in South Sudan?
1: Well, um, I have spent all my life uh, in Uganda. We left South Sudan when I was still a baby. Um, And uh, we never came back to South Sudan until um, recently. That was when I finished my when I finished my high school, and uh, coming to South Sudan, it was not such a beautiful place. You know, uh, the South Sudan I see right now is I see buildings coming up, I see uh, the city getting busy with businesses, um, but the South Sudan I saw then was. Um, an empty land, a dry land. And for me, though it was not as beautiful, but it felt like home, you know? The people I met when I came to South Sudan, the relatives that I met when I came to South Sudan made me feel loved, made me feel this was home, you know? uh i remember visiting uh families and relatives and you go to these relatives uh clearly you see they don't even have much uh food in the house but they they um prioritize you they prepare for you uh they cook for you uh they bring for you food and they're all happy to see to see you you know so for me that felt like home you know and it's, it's different, and I I, I I think it's the feeling of most South Sudanese that have lived out of South Sudan. When you're out there, you you definitely feel like I do not belong here, you know, cause even the way you are treated uh, that you're for right now, you are an immigrant, you don't belong here. Even, um, I remember the schools I attended and the spaces I went to, when you identified as a South Sudanese, they would look at you like you're a war creator, you know, and they would even ask you, why are you fighting? Why are you killing each other? And that time I was a child and I would ask myself, who am I killing? What is even happening in my country? You know, because I and all and all the things that are happening, you know. But when I came back home, I felt like I needed to do something. You know, uh, so I went back to Uganda to finish my university and after university, uh, I started, uh, volunteering with different organizations in Uganda, like the Red Cross in an area called Busheni in Western Uganda. Uh, I volunteered also with my personal friend where we did some work, um, when I became Miss South Sudan, Uganda, uh, that was in 2012, uh, with. Um, Miss Uganda at that time, um, she's called Dora Mwima, such a powerful house. I think if you're looking for girls to also put on this podcast, you should reach out to her. Mm-hmm. She has done so much amazing women, uh, work with women and girls, especially pregnant women. Um, mm-hmm. And her work really uh, at that time when we went to the hospital in Mulago Hospital as well, to do some charity work. Um, It was uh, was Women's Day. And so we decided to go celebrate the Women's Day uh, with the mothers who had just given birth. So we collected items among ourselves as as, uh, uh, Misses or the Queens that time. I remember there was Miss India, there was Miss Uganda, myself from South Sudan, um, and some other uh, beauty Queens. And we went to the hospital and with all the things, um, I also uh, did a lot of work with uh, uh, my lottery uh, club in Uganda, in school as well with the communities. And with this, I felt like I needed to do more. I needed to do more because for me, these uh, were personal, you know? At some point I felt my life was being touched you know, and also I have lived some of, of these realities, you know, working with women uh, for me is personal because um, I, have, I have been with my mom, I have been with my grandmother, and I have seen them, I have I've seen them suffer. I have seen them go through hardships to, to provide, to put food on the table, to take care of us. Um, And for me, all these experiences around me, um, I am also uh, a survivor of of sexual violence. And with these, all these um, horrific experiences really shaped me into wanting to do more, not just for myself, but also for my community and for people around me. Yeah, in a nutshell, those are some.
0: <laughs> mm. So it sounds, I mean, it sounds like it's been something in the making throughout your life, you know, that you were just meant to be where you are right now. Um, and so so do you want to share a little bit more? Because South Sudan hosts uh, refugees from mainly Sudan, but also has about over 2 million internally displaced um, people as well, um, because of of conflict, insecurity, um, climate change, um, and the impacts of, of the climate um, situation. Can you share a little bit about the situation in South Sudan? Because also in in 2018 there was a revitalized peace agreement that was signed. Um, has anything changed since then? What does the development look like um, today?
1: Uh, uh, thank you so much. Uh just like you shared, uh, there's been so many series of changes um, in South Sudan. And yes, there are uh, refugees uh, in South Sudan. There are also internally displaced people, uh, like in the uh, POCs, um, that is the protection of civilians in the UN camps and around. And uh, it is still there, it is still the same. Um, we hoped that uh, things would change, but I think uh, because of the crises we've had, like the 2013 crisis, uh, the 2016 crisis, um, I've also made the future to seem unclear, you know? Um, I have been part of the high-level revitalization forum. Uh, I, ha- I was uh, part of the uh, technical a committee that was supporting the women delegates uh, in the peace process, uh, the civil society and the youth. And being part of that process has taught me that we have a long way to go, that peace is a process, not just a one-off event, and that we have to acknowledge that it is a pieces of peace, you know, because everyone uh, defines peace in their own way. I still struggle to define what is peace, you know, Uh, given my experiences, right now I'm at a space in my life where I'm like, you, you are doing everything. You are trying to save this country. You are trying to save the world, but you have not saved yourself, you know? And so for me, I'm even questioning what does peace mean? And I'm like, peace is that internal feeling of, of calmness, of tranquility, you know, not just the absence of guns. So um, even when I've reached a space of struggling to define what peace really is, is, is the question out there to South Sudanese, how are we defining peace? Uh, How are the different South Sudanese defining peace? What does peace mean for women? What does peace mean for a young girl um, who has been raped? What does peace mean for a youth who has no job in a country that is filled with corruption, Um, you know? And so the situation makes us feel like the future is not clear. The future is blurrish, you know? I have worked with internally displaced people uh, before here in South Sudan. I have done a lot of work and advocacy uh, in areas like Western Equatoria, in Mundri. And at some point I felt the situation is hopeless, you know, because um, we bring uh, items like food items and food items to the internally displaced people. But it's not a matter of just giving them these items. It's a matter of speaking to their souls. It's a matter of um, listening to their stories, you know, Uh, listening to that old woman who says, I am tired of this fight. Uh, I lost my house because of this fight. I lost my family because of this fight. I want a home, you know. Because they're staying in, in these shelters that are, uh, are constructed using, um, using they're like tents or using polythenes or using some weird logs, you know. Uh, if it rains, even they sleep in the water. Uh, if it's too hot, they're sweating in there. And sometimes they go without food, they're hungry. So the situation looks hopeless, you know. Um, It is sad that um, we fought so hard for independence and we still see South Sudanese struggle, you know. Uh, For me, I thought after independence, we would start building the nation. We would start thinking about and reflecting what even made us to look towards independence and fight for independence in in the first place. So, uh, a lot has changed, and um, having been part of the high level revitalization uh, process, I feel like there is still more work to be done. Uh, We have a revitalized peace agreement. That means uh, we are trying to give life to the old peace agreement that was there before. But at some point, I feel like we are watering dead plants, you know? But is there hope? Yes, I think there is hope. And that's why we still insist on watering those dead plants. And Mm. the peace agreement, the revitalized peace agreement, if well implemented, can bring lasting peace to South Sudan and to South Sudanese, you know? Uh, And so I see hope. Despite all the challenges that we are having, the high levels of corruption, Uh, the high levels of inflation. Uh, We have uh, hyperinflation. People are suffering. Uh, Prices in the markets are very expensive. Food is very scarce for so many, uh, and majority of South Sudanese. So it is quite a disturbing state. Mm. However, because of uh, people like me, the youth, the women, and all these change makers in South Sudan and those working for South Sudan, I feel we can do something to make South Sudan a better place, yeah.
0: Mm. And Ria, you say that peace is something that is within you, sh- should come from within, right? And you also mentioned this old lady that, or this uh, you know, elderly woman that you had a conversation with. How do you continue to do the work when it feels hopeless? I mean, you're doing work that requires you to hear these traumatic stories, to hear, you know, the, the time and time again, you know, something that comes up that... Um, people are feeling hopeless, and people are angry, and people don't want justice, right? So peace is also linked to, to equality and to justice and to, you know, so many other um, things that need to come into place for people to feel that inner peace. Um, So how do you How do you find that that strength and that hope for yourself to continue to do the work, continue to water those plants? Um, Because, I mean, it's it's definitely a long-term job that you've embarked upon.
1: Well, uh, thank you so much. Um, The work that I do has really taken a toll on my body. I will not lie. There are times I have gone through depression. And I've gotten to deal with it. There are times I have become hopeless myself and I cannot even be the hope to those that I'm working with or to those that look up to me and be like, rear you are hope. You know, it, it is very difficult. I remember there was a time I was going through depression. I was battling depression. And um, so some part of the work that I do is I work with women and girls Um, survivors of sexual and gender-based violence. And um, I I got, we have uh, through Crown a Woman, we established um, the first ever national toll-free GBV hotline where survivors can call in to get services like uh, being taken to the hospital for treatment, uh, being provided uh, protection through our temporary accommodation um psychosocial supports uh and other kind of services. Um and when I was battling my depression, I remember there was a young girl uh that was raped. And then I saw I saw it be circulated on WhatsApp groups and I was just like, oh no oh no, I was feeling very bad. I was in my bed. I was feeling so hopeless. And then I got this call from, from a lady working with uh, one of the UN agencies here in Juba in the human rights division. And she kept on calling me on WhatsApp and I did not pick. Then she sent me a message. And she's like, hi, power lady. Uh, there is this, uh, there's this uh, case going on. What is it? That you can do. I trust in you. I know you can do this and what. And for a moment I was just like, what can I do? There is nothing I can do. You know? And I was in so much pain. I was dealing with my own demons. And so for that time, I just uh uh called someone and I said, there is this case, can you handle it? So I think one of the ways that I deal with uh, this hard work is sometimes also sharing it with others that are doing the same, because we cannot all do it. We cannot do all, all of it at, 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 at once, you know? Um, the other thing that uh, I have deliberately decided to do in uh, my organization, Crown the Woman, is this collective self uh, Collective care and self-care. So during our meetings on Monday and Fridays, uh, we have something called the um, sharings of high lows and highs and lows. So basically the team to share, what is it that that's exciting moment, that is your high moment, that is aha moment, that can also uplift all of us, you know? And what is it? Uh, that low moment that you're going through and we can share the low moments and together heal. And then we have something called the Inspiration Forum. So for the Inspiration Forum is basically someone who feels she's in high moods or he's in high moods of the day, just shared something to uplift the the whole team. And with that, uh, I have seen the power of collective healing. You know, you may think you're going through something but you're not going through it alone once you share and another person shares. Uh, Then together we collectively come up with healing strategies. Like we do collective yoga or group yoga. We do group meditations as a team. And so this is a space we have found uh, where we build sisterhood, where we collectively heal. And I acknowledge that each one of us comes with their own baggage. Each one of us comes with our own past traumas because besides the war uh, taking a toll on all of our bodies, um, daily lived realities of patriarchy takes a toll on each one of our bodies. You know, you're fighting for the rights of girls and women, but in your house, in the streets, you're fighting patriarchy you know you are driving and someone will question you oh you're driving like a woman you know um I, or someone will ask who bought you that car like as if a woman cannot buy herself a car you know uh you're struggling with uh, a a woman being abused you know you are struggling with uh, even the fact that you don't have money because the work we are doing also is a lot but with limited resources and funding. There are days we have gone without salaries, you know, and we still continue the work uh, that we do. Uh, But the other thing I have deliberately decided to do as RIA recently is um, to invest in in therapy and healing. So I pay a therapist sometimes to take me through the healing journey. Um, I also deliberately have been supported by my therapist that I have to create my space, which I call the real space, you know? So mm-hmm. I am creating this space that uh, one hour in a day, I am going to switch off my phones. I am going to close myself in this space and just have a me moment, you know? Reflect on, on my wounds, re- reflect on my pains, but deliberately uh, celebrate my wins, Deliberately. Um, Manifest the uh, deliberately affirm positivity in my life, you know. And so, because I believe if I do not heal myself, I am going to bleed on those that do not cause my pains, you know. And it is difficult because why I'm saying that I have to heal my pains is uh, as I shared before earlier. I am a survivor um, of child rape, and I never talked about that story until 2015, you know. And that time I had gone to Canada for a mentorship program with the Noble Women's Initiative. And they had taken me to uh, Carlton University to speak. And I was speaking about South Sudan, my work that I do. And there was this young woman in the congregation uh, who was of the Somali descent. And she asked me a question of, So Ria, I hear about South Sudan and all these horrific things, happenings. And I am from Somalia originally. I am a survivor of FGM. I am a survivor of rape. And she shared her story. And she asked me, so how do you deal with it? Just like you asked, how do I deal with it? And for the first time, I realized I had not dealt with this demon, you know? Because I had, I never spoke about it. When it happened to me, when I tried to tell my mother, she beat me up and shut me to silence, you know? I do not know why she did that, but I was silenced. That's how I say I was silenced until 2015 when that lady asked me the question and then I didn't have an answer. I broke down in front of everyone, and I say screaming, I started crying and for the first time I, I was supported and I was taken to therapy, you know, and I started seeing a counselor for the time I was in, I was in Ottawa. And as I walked the journey and then came back and from there, they uh, invested in me. They took me to Brazil and I met, uh, that is for the Aweed uh, Association of Women in Development Forum that happens uh, once um, in like five years. And there I met so many women who had been doing amazing work, you know? Uh, And my perspective changed and something kept on pushing me. Ria, you have to do something for your country. Ria, you have to do something. And that's when the idea of start an organization for women started, you know? And so I reached out to a few friends And I'm like, hey, I want to start a women's organization. Do you want to start this with me? You know, Uh, but the the shape of what the organization would take, I did not have that. But what I had was the urge, was the passion that I have to do this. You know, I have to do this. And so I use my wounds. I use my stories to, to support others, you know. And so... I am investing in the Rhea space. I am investing in therapy. I am investing in self-care. Um, it is difficult, but I think it is working. Yeah.
0: Mm. RIA, oh, you're bringing me to tears just hearing you share your story. And I mean, the vulnerability that you have, the, the braveness you have to come out and really just, you know, share this and then at the same time you are crowning yourself as the queen you are giving yourself that space it's beautiful and i think it's encouraging and it's something that we all need to hear i mean we're working with a lot of difficult things and you know just really prioritizing that that space that that your own space for healing for rebuilding for refilling yourself so that you don't bleed on others. I, I, it's so beautiful, and you're crowning yourself. And you started crown the woman, South Sudan. Um, can you share a little bit about you know the work you've done? You started it in 2016, so I mean a lot has happened since then. Can you share a bit about the work that you're doing and um, and how you see that it is an important piece of of building building South Sudan back with for peace and equality.
1: All right, thank you so much. So when we started in 2016, um, our dream was and is still that we crown the women of South Sudan. Uh, And if you look at that, if you look at our logo, it is a woman, but the crown has not yet settled on her head you know? So for us, that gap is the injustices the girls and the women are facing. That gap is the challenges the women are facing every day, the discrimination, the patriarchy, the abuses, the gender-based violence, the um, intentional exclusion of women and girls. And so that crown has not yet sat on that woman's head. And I believe that if we remove all these inequalities, all these injustices, and the woman is happy, the woman is at peace, the woman is able to to use her agency uh, rather than being victimized, then that crown will will settle on the head. And I believe one day it will. And so we have done a lot of work since then. Uh, Some of the work that we have been doing and still doing include mentorship of girls um, in the communities in high schools in primary schools and uh with our mentorships is that we bring in south sudanese uh, women that have unique stories stories of resilience stories of never giving up uh stories of wanting to do more to mentor these girls and uh we believe that many of us would have been in better places if we were mentored, you know, because, uh, coming from a war country, that is one piece the war took away from us. You know, there is no space to mentor because people are running from one place to another. They're not sure of whether they will sleep in that place and things like that. So the mentorship element is very important. And, um, I see with the mentorship we have grown uh, into this journey of even us as mentors, we are learning from the mentees, you know, Um, it is a two way traffic. The girls have become confident. The girls are performing very good in schools. The girls are speaking up against abuse. Um, They are saying, I now know my rights. No one can abuse my rights you know, and the girls are defending other girls because of the mentorships that uh, we are doing. And we have reached a space through this uh, mentorship that we intentionally have to say, it has to be feminist mentorship, you know? Uh, Feminist in the sense that uh, we have to create uh, a young girl or a young woman who is feminist to continue the fight, to continue the struggle, to claim her story, to claim her agency, to change the narrative around girls and women, you know? And uh, we've reached a point where we are asking, is it feminine leader or is it feminist leader? And we are saying it has to be feminist leader, you know? Um, And I I, I love that. We have changed our stories. We have changed the girls. Recently, we celebrated the International Day of the Girl Child. And we had an all-girl panel. Even the MC was a girl, you know. And it was a a powerful space. When those girls spoke and they're like, I am who I am because of Crown the Woman. You know, Um, Ria has changed my life. Nadia has changed my life. Uh, Jackie has changed my life. Susie has changed my life. And I was just wowed. Gloria has changed my life, and I was just like, "Wow!" So we are doing a lot of work. And when those girls were speaking, I felt there was that little girl reminding me, uh, you know, Ria, you are a leader. Ria, you are powerful. Uh, Ria, you have to to stand tall, you know. Ria, fix your crown, you know. So these girls made me feel like. This Ria, you know, this little girl. So I kept on listening and I'm like, wow. So the mentorship is doing a lot of work. Mm. Uh, The other work we do has been a lot of advocacy on women's rights. Um, We have gone to the extent of uh, um, leading protests in the country, uh, demanding for the rights of girls, demanding for justice for girls and women, Uh, For example, in uh, 2020, uh, at the peak of COVID-19, there was a young girl that was gang raped. And when I saw this um, on the news, I took it personal because uh, this young girl was eight years. When I was raped, I was nine years. And it made me reflect on my own wounds, you know, and... I remember I was with this girl in the hospital and hugging her and talking to her. At first, she was scared of people. She was curled up in the corner crying. But when I reached out to her, I hugged her and I told her, it is okay, It is fine. You are not alone. I'm here with you. There was this sisterhood, this friendship that was created with this young girl and I felt I needed to do more, but I was also very angry because I reflected on my own wounds, you know. And so I, I, I asked my colleagues, let us organize a protest and we mobilized other women and even men and went to the streets and uh, took a petition to the Ministry of Gender, Child and Social Welfare. We took a petition to the parliament demanding for justice for all survivors of sexual rap. Uh, uh sexual violence, you know, and for me that was power you know uh, there is power in uh, collective uh mobilizing and spaces uh, like that uh we have we have also um advocated using uh films and storytelling, so we have a film it's also on youtube uh in arabic it's uh binnya Mabi Jozu. I personally wrote the script. <laughs> I do not have the, I do not have the expertise of writing uh, movie scripts, but I wrote the script and the story. And that story is based on a true story of uh, one of the friends who shared a story of uh, how she was being forced into marriage. And, um, So I felt like we needed to do something because uh, some of the work that we do is uh, campaigns on ending child marriage through our campaign called She Is Too Young To Be Married. And so we produced that film and then screened it in schools, screened it in communities, screened it in uh, PTAs. That's the parents, teachers associations, uh, screened it with community leaders like chiefs because we wanted all leaders to take collective action on ending child marriage. And uh, the, the movie was power. We still screen it, we still reflect on how it is and what we can do together to end child marriage. Um, it is not an easy job, it's very difficult. There was a point uh, before we started a temporary accommodation um, work, and we are grateful to UNFPA uh, for supporting our work. Um, we used to at some point hide survivors in our houses. I remember there was a, a survivor of child marriage who uh, we had to hide in our house for more than a month and so we we ran from one place uh to another with her. uh We wanted to help her, but they tell you go to the police station and then we drive to the police station and at the police station, while we're taking the statement, uh, the police found out that the person who was forcing this girl to marry is, is her uncle, who works in the prisons, you know, who works with the government. And so the police reported to the uncle, and it, it became a threat against us. We had to move to another place um, and all this uh, back and forth. But I am happy that as I'm speaking to you right now, this girl, we were chatting yesterday. Um, she just came back from Italy. She went to Modo in Italy. And she's she like, Rhea, I am going back to school. I have saved some money in Italy and I'm going back to school. And it's all because of you and Crown the Woman. And I was moved to tears and I was happy. I was proud. I'm like, it is changing one girl at a time, you know? Um, The other work that we do includes um, preventing, working on prevention and responding to violence against women and girls. Uh, We have, as I shared before, established a toll-free GBV hotline. Uh, It's a national hotline where someone from all over the country calls in and then we are able to provide them with services. Uh, if we cannot, because we are not there physically, then we are able to look into our referral pathway and connect that survivor to someone in that location or locality to get the services that they need. Um, we have been part of the peace process, the high level privatization forum, uh, through uh, different platforms like the South Sudan Civil Society Forum, the South Sudan Women Coalition for Peace, and we still continue to advocate for. Uh, a better South Sudan for peace in South Sudan. Yeah, uh, those are some of the works that we are doing. And just a little bit,
0: just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it's huge. <laughs> so much amazing work. Wow. And what an inspiring story that you shared um, for the young woman who, for the young, young woman and then the, the young girl as well that you've been working with. Thank you so much for sharing those stories. Um, and I mean, now that we're having this conversation and there is, you know, one of the, the goals that I have with the work that I do is really to build global solidarity, there is, I mean, this, this stream of of refugees, but then also there is a a whole global force, a movement, a feminist movement um, that wants to support as well. So can you share a little bit about sort of what you see as the most important uh, part of building global solidarity for South Sudan? Uh,
1: The world is a global village, you know? And South Sudan does not exist on its own, you know, and that's why we are part of different um, spaces and institutions uh, like the UN, uh, the UN, um, the EU, and different spaces. Uh, it's important to build uh, global solidarity because we cannot create change alone, you know. Um, for example, in South Sudan, we live in a space where civic space is shrinking every day. You know, there are some things where I have been shut. I cannot say because of my safety in the country. You know, uh, it is one thing to say we need freedom of expression. It's another of how the, your freedom of expression will be uh, taken after you've said what you have said, you know. and so. Um, when you speak about certain things it's like, uh, people do not want to hear them. Like if you speak about rep of women, you know, if you speak about feminism, you know, we get backlashes like, Oh, rap is not our culture. It doesn't exist. You know, or oh, feminism is a foreign concept. It's a white concept. Why should you bring it to South Sudan? You're spoiling our culture. It doesn't belong here. Um, and so abuses still continue, abuses of human rights, you know. And uh when I say we are a globe, we are part of the global village is South Sudan has signed on to different uh human rights treaties, human rights instruments, and uh we still want to see the South Sudan signs to more and ratifies more. For example, the Maputo Protocol um that has not been ratified in South Sudan. Um And all this, and for us, when things turn sour, we turn to the global sisterhood, you know? Uh, I remember there was a time where there was uh, too much sexual violence, uh, rape, and all this. And so uh, we reached out uh, to the sisters that was organized by Crisis Africa, I mean, crisis action, and the South African women uh, were in solidarity with us, you know. So they called it the Muzansi for South Sudan, and sexual violence in South Sudan. And so the South African women stood with us and they spoke about sexual violence in South Sudan, the horrors that are happening in South Sudan, and demanding for justice for the South Sudanese Uh, specifically the women and the girls, demanding for peace for the country. They even reached out. We had a a Twitter space and discussions. And for me, this is what I called uh, global solidarity. You know, uh, the sisterhood that uh, the work that I'm doing, like what you're doing, Julia, is amazing. You know, you're sharing our stories to the um, international platform. Uh, where people may never even have heard of where is South Sudan or what does a South Sudanese woman go through. So for me, uh, it's important to build that uh, global sisterhood and uh, global solidarity, because together then we create that change, that uh, transformative change that we want to see. And also, the pains that a South Sudanese woman goes through is not exclusively to her, you know? Because what I go through, uh, uh, Julia, I believe you go through it in Sweden, but the contexts are different, you know? The spaces are different, you know? And so sharing our stories, uh, sharing our our experiences also shapes our change uh, as well. Yeah. A
0: hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean... When you speak about the microaggressions of just being a woman, it's something that, you know, women across the world that I can relate to. Um, And I think, yeah, it's it's so powerful to use storytelling as as a means to create connection because we are connected. You know, we we are connected. The the resistance to feminism it's something that we're experiencing in Sweden right now. Um, you know there are backlashes to development that we're experiencing across the world, so I think I mean it's it's so powerful to to share those stories and to build that sisterhood. Uh, Ria, thank you so much. So my last question for you, I mean, I would just love for you to share if you have one piece of advice that you would want to share to others um, who want to be a part of creating change, even in the most difficult circumstances as displaced, as refugees, as a part of a war torn society. Um, What advice do you have for others who want to be a part of creating change?
1: Wow. Wow. That's such an interesting question. And I I, I think I should also advise myself (laughs) before before I advise anyone out there. Um, It can be
0: a reminder. It can be a reminder. Well,
1: yes. (laughs) Uh, For me, um, what I would share is if you ever feel the urge to create change, start now. There is no right time to say, let me wait for resources. Let me wait to have experience. Because um, when I thought of starting a women's organization, I had no experience, but I had passion. You know, we had no resources, but we had the passion that was driving us. So if you ever want to start, do not wait, start now. And the other one I'll share is that once you start creating change, you are making the ones that are perpetrating or creating injustices uncomfortable. So they are going to push back on you. They are going to come for you. You will face threats. Um, You will even question yourself at some point, am I doing the right thing? Uh, Should I stop now? Uh, Sometimes even this work will not pay you, you know? Sometimes you will go through depression. Sometimes you'll feel alone in this work and journey, you know. But my advice is persist and resist, you know, persist and resist. And even in your persistence and resisting, do not forget to take care of yourself, you know. Do not forget to take care of the people that you work with, the people around you. Um, I always ponder on the words of Audrey Lodge, you know, self-care is not self-indulgence. You know, it is self-preservation. If you do not preserve you, it will be difficult to sustain the work. So invest in self-care, invest in self-care, invest in self-care. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's all.
0: Ria, thank you so much for that advice. Um, I'm taking it to heart, and I'm—I especially—I mean, the part of of being making people uncomfortable. It also requires yourself to become comfortable with being really uncomfortable, <laughs> because yes. it is—it's very uncomfortable work uh, to be a part of resistance and persisting. Um, Thank you so much for the reminder of of self-care and for sharing your own story for the vulnerability that you have and the amazing leadership that you have in South Sudan for the women and the girls that you're working with um, and the country as a whole. Thank you so much, Ria.
1: Thank you so much for hosting me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Hey Changemaker with me, Julia Wicklander. It's been an honor to have you along with me, learning and growing as a changemaker. If you know of anyone who would appreciate to join us on this journey, please share this episode with them. And if you enjoyed this episode, please, please rate and review this podcast. That way more people can find it. Let's build solidarity to create ripple effects of positive change around the world. Remember, you are powerful. You're a change maker.